All right, let's get started. 90,000. All right, seen that number probably on the screen. What, what's that about? Like, I'm not good with numbers. I know it's a huge number. You know, I, I was the kid in elementary school who, maybe your elementary did this, they put beans in a jar or whatever. You gotta estimate how many beans are in, in the jar and the person with the closest answer gets a coupon to the Scholastic Book Fair or whatever. I was always the kid who would stare at that jar for like five minutes and I'd be like, 428. And then I would drop my thing in and find out there's like 13,000 beans in the jar. You know, so I'm not good with numbers, but I know that 90,000 is a huge number. I actually looked up some interesting uh, trivia around that number, some tidbits for you. So if you were to stand up from your chair right now and take 90,000 steps, you would end up walking 45 miles. If you were to get into your car and drive 90,000 miles without stopping because you have a car from the future or whatever, you could drive around the earth three and a half times. Yeah, I, I discovered this was the most interesting one to me. If you take 90,000 pennies and stack them on top of each other perfectly, at the end of that, the height of your penny tower is exactly 90,000 pennies tall. It's, yeah, fascinating. <laughs> the internet is incredible. Uh, <laughs> 90,000, it's a huge number, right? But, but what does this have to do with us? What, like, why is it on the screen? Why is it in the videos? Why is it the name of our current teaching series? Well, here's why. It's because that is the average amount of hours you are going to spend at work in your lifetime. And that is a lot of hours. To kind of put this into perspective for us, I, I looked up some studies. These were real, real studies. Um, all these studies are based on the average lifespan being 72, all right? So I, you, I'm, you got more than 72 years, and yeah, I know it. But according to this study, you don't. But anyway, <laughs> it's a depressing way to start today. Uh, <laughs> so if you live 72 years, you will have lived 622,000 hours. That sounds good. But a huge chunk of that time is spent drooling on your pillow. You'll be asleep for 228,000 hours of your life. Okay? I hope you have sweet dreams. But that leaves you with 394,000 hours awake in this life. That's all you and I get. 394,000 hours to do everything and anything we're ever going to do in our lifetime. That's all we get, people. How much time do we spend at work? 90,000 hours. That's 22% of your waking life. Again, if you're bad at numbers like I am, I see those numbers and I go, you know, 90,000 out of 394,000. That's not that bad. Well, let me continue putting this into perspective. How much time do we spend doing things that we really, really enjoy in this life? Like how much, for example, how much time does the average person spend laughing in their lifetime? That's 3,600 hours, not that much. How much time will we spend exercising and taking care of ourselves physically? That's 4,320 hours, not that much. All the CrossFitters in the room are like, I spend way more time at the gym than that. <laughs> All the rest of us are like, yes, we know. You tell us every chance you get. <laughs> what about eating? All right, we all love a good meal. How much time will we spend eating? We'll spend 32,100 hours eating. That's a big jump. That's a lot of time, right? That's a lot of Applebee's that we got to swallow. Um, what about this? How much time will we spend having sex in our lifetimes? Drum roll. Every man in the room is like, please be a lot of hours. <laughs> the average person will have 2,800 hours of sex in their life. I still can't figure out if that sounds like a lot or too little, but that's what the study says. 
What about this? What about quality time spent with family and friends? All right, we would all say this is the most valuable thing we do with our life, right? No one would argue that. We'd all say that being a friend or being a, a parent or being a spouse is the most important role we play, far more important than the role that we play at work, right? So how much time do we spend with these people? Well, on average, 42,300 hours. And that one stings. Because to bring you back to the name of this series, we see all those numbers up on screen, the hours that we spend doing things that we really enjoy. But at the end of your lifetime, when they dress you in a suit for the last time and they lower you into the grave, all of those hours pale in comparison to the 90,000 hours we'll spend at work. You and I will spend twice as much time at work as we do with our friends, our kids, our wives, and our husbands. Let that sink in, 90,000 hours at work. I want you to think about what you do for a living right now, all right, because it's coming up, right? 9 a.m., Monday morning, you're going to clock in, and it's right around the corner, and whatever you're clocking into, that is one-fourth of your life in a nutshell. It is by far the lion's share of anything that you'll do with your time during your waking hours. So what does that 90,000 hours look like for you? You know, is it 90,000 hours of staring at Excel spreadsheets or is it going door to door or are you selling coffee? Is it 90,000 hours of expense reports and budget to actuals and avoiding that one coworker in the office? You know, we all have that, that's fine. We all have that person. You're getting coffee in the break room and you're like, crap, Kathy's here, stuck. That's fine, we all have a Kathy, all right? <laughs> Mine's actually not named Kathy, I'm smart. Um, what does work look like for you? Since it takes up so much of your time, do you enjoy it? Is it life-giving or is it life-draining? Do you look forward to or do you dread one-fourth of your waking life? It's sobering to think about. Got to start here today, though. We got to start this series with kind of getting slapped in the face with the reality that by the end of our lives, you and I will have give, given 90,000 hours to work, 90,000 hours to a company, to a boss, to a tech startup, to a commute, you name it, 90,000 hours to a paycheck. And every single one of those hours had better be an investment, right? We should see a return on the investment. If not, it's worthless. And so what do we envision being the return on investment for one-fourth of our life? Like, what is the goal of working 90,000 hours in our lifetime? Some of us would answer that and we would say, well, I work to play, right? I work for the weekend. I work to afford my life outside of work. And I get that. But is that the wisest investment of your time? Like, you grind away for 45 hours or more a week just so you can enjoy a couple hours on the weekend? Like, it doesn't make sense. If we were talking money instead of hours, you would be losing. You'd be in the red. Some of us say, you know, well, I just work to survive, and I get that, you know? To varying degrees, we all are, but can that really be it? Right, you work 90,000 hours of your life just to ensure that we stay fed and breathing on this planet? Like, is that the best return on investment we can expect? And then others of us in the room, we'd never say it out loud, all right? But if we're being honest, we would answer, well, I work to make a name for myself. Like, I work to be important. I work to be valuable. I work to be remembered. I'm working to build a legacy, and I get that. But you gotta hear, there's a chance that your return on investment is gonna be a massive letdown, because the truth is, unless you're the next Abraham Lincoln or whatever, your name is going to be forgotten with time, All right? What's the name of your great, 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 great grandpa? You don't know. 
right? They're not going to chisel your image into marble somewhere so that you can be remembered forever. So is it really worth 90,000 hours of our life just to make a few people around us jealous of our success? Has to be something more, right? Gotta be some purpose to the 90,000 hours we'll spend at work, some goal that's bigger than just a paycheck or mere survival or feeling important, right? Like, I hope so. Because if not, you and I are doomed to invest one-fourth of our life into a vacuum that we've called a career. And if that's true, it's a bitter pill, and we should just swallow it now and go home. Now, I think you're all smart enough to understand that I think that's not all there is to work, because if not, we would be praying and going home now, and that would be depressing. <laughs> um, so God says there's more to work than that. He says, don't worry, it's way bigger than that. It's way more important than that. And Jesus brings hope into this 90,000 hour chunk of our lives. And so that's what we're gonna talk about throughout this series. This series is basically how do we take that one fourth of our waking life called work, how do we make work worth it? And today is really just an introduction to the series, all right? And today, all I really wanna do is drive home the truth that according to God, work matters. Like your work matters. Right? No, not just the work of pastors and doctors and nonprofit organizations. That work matters too, but so does yours. Why? Well, because according to God, work, like in general, the act of working matters. It's important to him, and he created you to do it. We see this truth in the first couple chapters of the Bible, which is the story of the origin of everything. Right? We covered a couple parts of this chapter earlier in our series about rest, and now we're gonna quickly tackle a couple other parts through the lens of work. And so some of this might sound familiar, but I'll remind you, the first sentence of the Bible is this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you read on, we learn that he created everything. Right, we talked about that a few weeks ago, not gonna rehash it now. The important thing today is this, we learn that basically in the beginning, God got to work. It's the very first thing he does, he gets to work, gets his hands dirty, he creates something out of nothing, he spends the first six days of existence as we know it, working. On the sixth day, he, he creates his greatest and finest work, which is humanity, that's us, you and I. And the Bible says that God created man, mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So humanity, you and I, we are created in the image of God, which means that you and I are supposed to reflect the character and nature of God to everything and everyone else that he's created. Probably mostly sounds familiar because that's what we've talked about a couple weeks ago. Here's what we need to pay attention to today. It's this. We have to remember when we hear that verse, we're only 27 verses into the big, fat, thick book that we call the Bible, right? And we're told that we reflect the image of God to creation. God does a lot of stuff. There's a lot of ways that we can reflect his character and nature to the world. But when it comes to the first 27 verses of the Bible, we have still only seen God do one thing so far, and that is work which means, among other things, we were created in the image of a working God. All right, for a minute, take your 90,000 hours, your job, set it aside, all right? The fact that God works and he's at work, what does this mean for us, like spiritually, in terms of our relationship with him? Well, it's really great news, 
right? Because it means that whatever picture you and I have of a God who's, you know, in a white bathrobe on a throne in a distant place, and he's only really listens to you if you really beg for it, and he never really moves, and he's fed clusters of grapes by flying baby angels, and whatever, it's an elaborate picture, but (laughs) whatever picture you have of God like that in your head, it sucks. That's not how God operates. Instead, beginning on day one, working through to today, 2019, the Bible introduces us to a God who is at work. He is not distant. He is not uninvolved. Instead, he gets his hands dirty. He's in the mess, like with us at work in our lives. He's in the act of creating something out of the nothing parts of our lives. Not only is God at work, but he loves his work. He delights in it. If you were to go read Genesis 1 through 2 on your own today, which is a good read, if you were to do that, you wouldn't discover a God who's grumbling and moaning about having to work. You don't discover a God who's like, it's only two o'clock. I got three more hours of making earth. This sucks. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you don't see that. Instead, <laughs> instead, you see a God who creates, who gets to work for the sheer joy of it. Not only is God at, at work, but he loves his work. In fact, I got the Bible app on my phone, um, and you know, once a day it's like ding, and it's got a verse of the day for me. And last Sunday, I was working on this talk. I was actually working on this part of the talk, and my phone goes ding, and the verse had to do with this. It drove the truth home. It says this, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves, and he'll take great delight in you. And in his love, he'll no longer rebuke you, but he'll rejoice over you with singing. What does that mean? It means anytime I screw up, he's never going like, oh, MG, you know, oh, my me. Like Ben messed up. (laughs) So slow burn. It's all right. When I screw up, God doesn't look at me and go, oh, you messed up again. I got to get in there. I got to fix it. He doesn't do that. In his love, he doesn't rebuke me. And instead, in his love, what does he do? He gets to work. And he delights in his ability to save me from myself. God is with us at work in our lives and he loves his job. And it's in that kind of an image that you and I were created. We were created in the image of a working God and he loves his job. That's why in Genesis 1, we learn that that God actually blesses humanity with work. Which means as crazy as it sounds, the very first gift, it's a gift that God gives us, other than the ability to breathe, is the ability to join him in the kind of work that he does. Let's take a look at when that happens in in Genesis. It says, this says, God blessed them, humanity, and he said to them, he's like, okay, I got a blessing for you. I got a gift. It's going to be good. Here it is. I want you to be fruitful and increase in number. He says, go make people like I make people. Go create families and and societies and communities and civilizations just like I created you. He says, fill the earth and subdue it. Meaning this earth, this creation is your resource. I want you to manage it like I would. Use it to create cities and structures and culture and art. He says, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground, which means join me in the work of caring for and managing everything that I've made. We just learned an interesting fact but we might miss it. We learned that according to Genesis, God created an unfinished world. It's not done yet. And instead of finishing it himself, he gives us the gift of joining him in moving the creation project forward. In other words, at the very beginning, God says, join me in making something great of this place. 
join me in making something great of this place. He says, we are off to a great start, but this project is unfinished, and I want you to finish it with me. Move it forward with me. Go make societies. Right? Go become leaders and become followers and become students and become teachers. Go become everything from like linguists to counselors to artists and go make civilizations. Right? Go become city managers and architects and plumbers and accountants. And he says, use this place I've given you as a resource. Use it to feed yourself. Also use it to build your bridges. Use it to invent everything from the wheel to the printing press to the next great app for the smartphone. He says, go to town. God says, join me in making something great of this place. Now, quick timeout. All right, for that reason, anytime I say work in this series, I'm not only referencing the responsibility that earns you a paycheck. I mean, so the paycheck earning stuff, that's what'll eat up 90,000 hours of your life, but it's not the only work that we do here. Why? Because work, according to God, is anything that moves the creation project forward, anything that makes something great of this place. Which means, basically what I'm saying is this series isn't a total wash for you if you're not currently bringing a paycheck home. Like if you're a student, for example, God would say you are at work. You are learning how to harness and subdue this place, right? You're learning how to take everything from history and biology and math and music, you name it, and use it and make it work for you so that you can make something great of this place. If you're a stay-at-home parent, you are at work and you have your hands full there were a couple of years uh, where I would take Friday off and then Allie would go work all day. So there were a couple of years where I was a stay-at-home dad one day a week. I know that's hard work, right? I think it's even harder than my other job. It's just I'm not getting paid and my bosses are six-year-old, four-year-old, and one-and-a-half-year-old tyrants, <laughs> right? Like my, my boss at church is Jesse DeYoung. That's who I report to. But if you were to treat me like my kids do at home, if you were to come into the office every 20 minutes asking for goldfish... Ask me to wipe him when he goes to the bathroom, I'd quit. <laughs> I'd hit him on the, the mouth on the way out the door. You can't do that with your kids. That's very hard work. All right, so for the rest of the series, when I say work, I am definitely referencing the 90,000 hours we spend earning a paycheck, but I'm also referencing anything that moves the creation project forward. That's your parenting, that's your midnight phone call friendships, that's your side hobby of photography or music making, whatever, all right? Time back in. What did we just learn in Genesis? Well, we just learned the ideal, right? We learned God's like grand vision for the gift of work and what it could look like. And it means this, it means no, you're not just a FedEx delivery man. You are making something great of this place. You are providing businesses and homes with the tools they need to be successful. The way our world works in this day and age, we would literally grind to a halt without you. And no, you're not just the CPA. You're making something great of this place. You're giving people like me who suck at money the chance to have financial peace and financial security. And no, you are not just a mom. You are making something great of this place. You are training those little people up and filling the earth with them. In Genesis 1 and 2, we, we learn God's grand vision of work. And he says, work is a gift to you and we should love it like he loves his work. Now, at the same time, we know that the reality of work is very far removed from the grand vision of work. Like it's cool for a few minutes in church to think like I'm the delivery man, I'm the CPA, I'm the mom, but in God's eyes, I'm doing the honorable work of moving the creation project forward. It's cool to think about, but the reality is that work is really hard. And it's hard for a whole slew of reasons. You know, first of all, work doesn't come naturally. Like you have to work at it. 
You have to earn a degree. You gotta go to trade school. You gotta job hunt, which is the worst, right? You know, resume after resume after resume, interview after interview. You got on-site training, ongoing training, recertifications. There's always someone outshining you and risking your job security. Work doesn't come naturally. After a while, we start to distort work. For some of us, work can feel fruitless or pointless. This is any of us who go, you know, what I do for a job, it doesn't matter. I spend every hour at work, like wishing I could be home. I spend every hour at home, like dreading going back to work. I could be fired, transferred, promoted, demoted, put out to pasture, and none of it would impact the world. Work can feel fruitless or pointless. For others of us, work can be selfish and all-consuming. Right? That's any of us who go, well, what I do is actually very important. It's actually the most important, and it's more important than family and friends and stable relationships. It's more important than my physical, emotional, spiritual health. Why? Because I'm making a name for myself here. I'm making money for myself here. I'm climbing the ladder, and I'm climbing it quickly. And so, yes, I will sacrifice myself on this altar. I will make my job my God. Work can become selfish and all-consuming. And then for all of us in the room, at some point, work can become our entire identities. That's the second question we ask people. Yeah, what's your name? What's the next one? What's your family like? What'd you do today? What do you like? No, it's what do you do for a living? Our entire identities. Listen, you were born a woman. You were born an individual. You will die a doctor. You'll die a teacher. I was born a man. I'll die a pastor. It becomes my entire identity. This is why our success or failure at work, we read that as a success or failure of character. This is why the cutbacks or the layoffs just about killed us. This is why we feel embarrassed. We shouldn't, but we feel embarrassed to tell people we're in between jobs. And this is why when we finally reach the dream of retirement, so many of us feel immediately bored and useless and unimportant. It's because somewhere along the way, our jobs became our entire identities. That is the reality of work. My question is simply this, what happened What happened to the grand vision of the gift of work that God gave us? Where did we go so terribly wrong? And the answer to that riddle is also found in Genesis chapter three. Because the very first people, Adam and Eve, they made a decision. We make it every day. We can't blame them. But they made a decision that affected the rest of humanity, including us. They decided to be their own gods, right? I want to decide for myself what's good and what's not good. I want to decide for myself what I can and what I can't do. Christian people call that moment the fall, the fall of man, right? The result of the fall is that this thing called sin enters into our world, right? Sin is our inability to hit the bullseye anymore. That's what sin is. Sin is our inability to live completely within God's grand vision for how to do life, including God's grand vision for work. On top of that, in Genesis 3, work specifically takes a pretty big hit, In Genesis 3, as sin enters the world, the the two things that God blessed humans with, he gave them these things as a gift, which is making babies and going to work, all right? These gifts are now under a curse. First one's childbirth. And so God says, you know, listen, you're still gonna join me, all right? You're still gonna join me in making something great at this place. You're still gonna join me in making people, but from here on out, it's gonna hurt. It's gonna be filled and riddled with complications, It's gonna become the kind of thing that's the only thing you want in the world. You can't have it. It's gonna hurt now. It's under a curse. Then the the second thing that's under a curse is work. And God looks at Adam and he says this. He goes, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. So work is going to be hard now. 
and it'll produce thorns and thistles. So work will have obstacle after obstacle and you'll eat the plants of the field, but by the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you'll return. In other words, from now on until the day we die, you and I now have to earn our living. We have to earn the ability to live. You gotta eat to live. You gotta work to eat. It's gonna lead to constant stress and exhaustion. Work is now under a curse. It's an important distinction to know that work itself is not a curse. Work is a gift. Work is a blessing. Work itself is not a curse any more than having babies is a curse. Instead, work is under a curse. The good gift of work is now riddled with obstacles. It'll be difficult and it will always trend towards completely defining your value. So let me do this. Let me kind of, let me break down what we've just learned in Genesis, kind of the groundwork that needs to be laid for this series, all right? And then in a minute, I'll, we'll pray, we'll go home. So here's what we just learned. We learned that according to God, work matters, and it matters because his grand vision for work is that we're joining him. We're joining God and making something great of this place. You and I, were supposed to have our eyes set on that target. That's the vision, right? We're supposed to be pursuing that vision of work. At the same time, we're supposed to be aware of the reality that work is under a curse, which means this for us. It should not surprise you that work is difficult, And it should not surprise us that work threatens to own and completely define our worth. And then this one's a kick in the pants, but it should not surprise us to discover that there is literally no perfect job out there. Doesn't exist. I'll get people who come up to me pretty frequently and and they'll say something like, they'll go, you know, dude, I'm jealous of your job. It's gotta be so rewarding and fulfilling. And after all, you're doing the Lord's work and man, you got the perfect job. And I bite my tongue right? But I want to look back at him. I want to say, what perfect job? Like, don't get me wrong. I love this job. All right. I I love it. I love you. I love being here and doing this with you today. But this ain't no perfect job. All right. It's exhausting. Like physically and emotionally, especially spiritually, like that stuff is real. Like it's basically a guarantee. Someone will get sick in my house. The kids will be up all night for no reason. The car will break down or I'll take an out of the blue dive into depression every single weekend I do my job up here. The teaching pastor, Scott Nickel, before me, he just told me, he's like, dude, if you wanna do this for the rest of your life, just prepare yourself for that. It doesn't go away. My job has a constant, never-ending weekly deadline. It's high pressure. Top of that, my job never has any completed projects. Because when you work at a church, you deal in loving people who are broken like yourself, you know? And so there's no completed projects because broken people are never completely fixed, including myself. I can't tell you how many times I've gone home. I'm sure you've had the same conversation about your job. I've gone home. I've told Allie, I just want to quit. I just want to work at Chase Bank. (laughs) You know? I want to clock in at 8 a.m. And I want to clock out at 5 p.m., you know? And then just go home and not be thinking about work all the time. I don't want to have the weekly deadline anymore. I just want to clock in, clock out, go home. That sounds like the perfect job. And now, of course, anyone who works at a bank is looking at me going, what perfect job? You know, like my job's more than putting the can in the tube thing, (laughs) right? It's not a cakewalk. (laughs) Listen, I don't tell you that to be a martyr. I don't tell you that to earn pity. I hate being pitied, all right? I tell you that just to say me too, all right? I know the grand vision of work, but the reality of the curse is real. The struggle is real. I'm not exempt from it. 
which means over the course of the series, I will not be talking down to you. I will not be preaching at you. I won't be saying, here's how you normal people with your normal jobs can work perfectly like pastors, like myself. I'm not gonna do that. Why? Because I'm in this thing with you. Why? Because work is a gift, but it's under a curse. Yes, even if it is the Lord's work. And so what do we do about this 90,000 hours of our lives that we spend working? What do we do about this struggle between work matters, but it's under a curse? Well, I can tell you right off the bat two things we probably should not do. The first one is this. The solution is not to find the perfect job. Why? It doesn't exist. Why? Because work is under a curse. The second thing, though, on top of that, even though this is a bit of a culture shock in America, I'm going to say it anyway. The solution is not to work drastically less than 90,000 hours. Why do I say that? Well, so in America, we tend to have what's called a low view of work. What that means is we view work as a necessary evil, right? So something I gotta do to make a paycheck so that I can go and enjoy my real life, which is anything that's not at work. On top of that, the church in general has a pretty low view of work. Like we hardly ever talk about it. This is the first series we've ever done on work here at Flatirons. Like we'll tell you how to deal with your addictions, how to learn forgiveness, how to love people a little bit better, how to, how to care for like the spiritual-ish stuff in your life. And then we ignore the 90,000 hours. Just ignore what it looks like to be like an awesome regional manager or an awesome intern, and that's a shame because God has a high view of work. I mean, Jesus talks more about shepherding and farming and fishing in the financial sector than he does just about anything else. He speaks through the language of work because it takes up our entire lives. And then even Jesus himself, when you think about it, like he was a carpenter 10 times longer than he was a Messiah, and I don't think he would say it was a waste of his time. According to God, work is not a necessary evil. It is a necessary good. He says, come join me in making something great of this place. So again, what do we do about this 90,000 hours we spend at work? Are we supposed to resign ourselves to one-fourth of our lives being all-consuming and selfish or being fruitless and pointless? Well, no. And call me crazy, but I really do think we can weather the curse of work while still aiming at God's vision for work. How? How do we do that? Well, today's a cliffhanger because I'm not gonna answer that right now, (laughs) okay? Today, I just wanna lay the groundwork. I wanna lay the groundwork. I wanna let you know that there's not a single person in this room, including myself, who just like flits through work and loves it, right? We all struggle with it. It's always gonna be a struggle. There's always gonna be a dilemma there. But at the same time, we just learned that according to God, work matters. It matters to him and it matters for us. It's important. Throughout the rest of the series, we're gonna take a look at stuff like this. We're gonna look at what you do for work matters. We're gonna look at how you act at work matters. We're gonna look at who you are without work matters. We're gonna jump into all those and see what God has to say about them. And I believe that if we dig in, God will give us a solid foundation for work so that you and I can invest 90,000 hours into it and see a good return on investment. And so here's our application today. This is what you can go out and do today. Right? It's, it's a simple ask. It's kind of a big one, but it's simple. It's this. Be here every week of the series. Just be here every week. Now, I am not saying that because pastors are supposed to say that. Right? I don't care who you want me to be. I, am, I refuse to be the kind of pastor who's counting butts in seats every single week. Right? I refuse to do it. To be the guy after every week who's like, well, how many num- well we had less than last week. I'm not going to do it. All right? I'm not asking you to come back next week to make myself feel better. Why am I asking you to come back next week? Because it's simple math. 
If you come back every single week of this series, you're investing three hours of your time here to see if God can influence the 90,000 hours that we call work. It's just math. Unless you become a billionaire, that's how much you're gonna work in your lifetime. So the way I see it, you got two options, all right? The, the first option is, you know, good luck out there on your own. Figure it out yourself. You're probably gonna be miserable for 90,000 hours of your life, or maybe the next leadership podcast or TED Talk will have the miracle solution for you, all right? That's one option. The other option is just spend three hours with us this month together, seeing what God has to say about the 90,000 hours that we call work. I believe that will be a wise investment of your time because I believe that God doesn't just care about where you go when you die. And God doesn't just care about you drinking less or cussing less or fill in the blanking less. He cares about your entire life, even the minutia. And if that's true, then of course he cares about the one-fourth of your life that you call work. So come back next week and the next and the next and bring some friends, right? Who should I bring? Well, you could probably bring the like, coworker that you do the most complaining about work with. <laughs> yeah, dude, you wanna see if church will make us less miserable here? You might say no, you might say yes, right? Come back this week or next week, next week, and the next week, and then let's see if God has anything to say. Let's see if God can breathe life into the 90,000 hours that we call work. Let's pray. All right, God, I, I thank you so much for everyone sitting in this room and sitting at home watching online or sitting at all of our different campuses, God, I thank you for everyone in here. God, I thank you for the way that you operate, the way that you've designed this world. And, and God, as crazy as it sounds, I thank you for the gift of work. God, you, you gave us the ability to join you in making something great of this place. You could have played puppet master. You could have been micromanager. You didn't wanna be. You wanted to empower us to join you in creating like you create. I thank you for that. But you know the reality is that that vision just gets buried under with work, the reality of work, the stress of having to earn a paycheck, the stress of having to take care of your family and pay all the bills. God, we bury that vision under the reality of work. God, please help us to dig it out over the next couple weeks here in this series. God, please teach us what your vision for work is. Teach us how it could be good for us and good for other people. God, a lot of us, we're spending 90,000 hours of our lives miserably. God, I pray for anyone sitting in the room who feels that way, you breathe life into them over the course of the next three weeks. But God, mostly I thank you for the way that you've designed work. I thank you for the way you designed us. And I thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, who makes a life like this possible. And it's in his name that I pray, amen.